because Lena Dunham says like, you know, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, they're still going, they're still cool. And Chris O'Dowd's like, have you seen any of those musicians recently? They look like old women, okay? They look like old women. <laughs> Star Trek. Star Trek <laughs> crew member. Crew member. Star Command. No, that's Buzz Lightyear, isn't it? Yes. Um, I've never, I've never watched TV I've Star Trek. I've seen the JJ Abrams films. It. I have a faint memory of my grandma. You know, when you have those tiny CRT TVs that sit in the kitchen. CRT. Like a uh, box with the curved oh, screen. Yeah, 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 like you know, those really small, like 19-inch TVs yeah, that yeah. lived in the kitchen. I have memories of my grandma like cooking me food and like daytime Saturday, Sunday afternoon, mm. Star Trek being on. Mm. I'm just thinking like, oh. But never really. That's the only memory I have of Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, I think I said that. I think I remember JJ Abrams, Carl Urban. I remember uh, clicking on the TV when I was a kid and seeing like Patrick Stewart, and then my dad every yeah. so often being like Star Trek. Yeah, I used to watch that when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that'd be it. <laughs> you get like the dull male acknowledgement of yeah. oh Star Trek, right? And you yeah. also say, oh, but they don't it, really engage. And you say like, oh, was it any good? And he's like, well, no, because the TV has advanced so much yeah. that his memory of what it was like it was like we've really. Like, it's not like you and I could go and be like, well, oh, you got to catch up on Star Trek, and like no. we'd sit and watch it. Like that wouldn't be. No, it's it's a, it's a bad ROI it's a, on it's a, time. Um, it's a piece of history now, isn't it? Yeah. Really, instead of actually being content that you go and watch. Um, I keep hearing things about Star Trek 4 happening. I know, uh, it's not happening now. Yeah, because it's, it's on and off. Paramount have taken off their release schedule because it was mm. gonna, going ahead, it wasn't going ahead. Meanwhile, you've had like two, three different Star Trek shows happening in the yeah. interim. The Tarantino thing that was t- talked about for a bit. My, um, my one of my first introductions... Yeah, I know, yeah. One of my first introductions to Star Trek was actually in Ace Ventura. Do you remember when he jumps in the pool and, (laughs) you know, when he's looking for the dolphin? You've seen Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know... we are, you know, Captain's like, we have landed on a unexpected life. And then he's like, for God's sake, man, I'm a doctor, not a pool, man. And, like, and I was laughing as a kid, but I didn't know what that meant. And my parents were like, oh, it's Star Trek. He referenced, Jim Carrey will reference loads of weird things in roles. Like, even in Liar Liar, there's things that, you, it's like yeah, yeah. watching um, Robin Williams' yeah. Aladdin again as a grown up. And yeah. it's all these things that he says at a million miles an hour. You're like, oh, that's referencing yeah. this very like grown up thing. I've not really, yeah. pro- I would never have processed as a you know, kid. I, 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 I was, dully idly swiping through the youtube and i watched some yeah. clips from graham norton uh, oh yeah by the way uh who was we talked about recently you know the highest like the 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 top tv guest panel show on yeah. in the UK, world right yeah um and uh they had this clip from when robin williams was on i think in like 2010 and oh, like wow. he's on with elijah wood and elijah wood is trying to be really serious and talk about how hobbiton in new zealand is like a place you can go to now <laughs> and like graham norton's being teasing and the robin williams just just is just so quick with everything he's, he's just on um, another amazing, level and he just immediately acts out being a hobbit and he just but like also in such a relaxed way that effortless he, uh, he's have Ten you seen years his, um, his Inside the Actors studio from No. Eight. Oh my God, it's an incredible watch. Like, you know how usually, um, what's the guy's Nick James, the host who does it oh, the um, whole time? With, oh, the guy who welcome talks to the very politely. Studio. And of course, yes. please welcome yeah. Robin Williams. So he, well, Robin Williams is like sitting for some of it. And then sometimes he just stands up <laughs> and like does a whole bit and it's, Amazing. It's like watching, I mean, I think at the time you would have been on drugs and just all sorts, which is so sad. But honestly, go and listen to yeah. that Screen Actors Guild you've, interview. You reminded incredible. me, I saw a clip of his stand-up where he, uh, oh, he's doing stand-up and a woman gets out to like, to, like walks out to like, you know, use the toilet or something. And he goes, oh, where are you going? It's okay, we'll wait. 
And then like there was this lava, she goes, and then like he comes down into the aisle, like, and he's like, Maybe, should we should we continue without her? And he's like, is she okay in there? And he gets his microphone. And he's like, this is the Los Angeles police. Sarah, Sarah, come on, Sarah, we've got Rabbi Kosher here. He's like, Sarah, you're such a nice child. Why don't you come on? And just, he just, you can't keep imagination up just with, goes. Uh, and in that interview, speed. he's like, he does that kind of like crazy bombastic thing, and then he, he's able to switch to like really heartfelt mm. and somber and mm. empathetic. And then like you see a performance like in Mrs. Doubtfire where he's doing the crazy things, yeah. but then also like he breaks your heart a million times. I was so sad here when he died. I know, it was, it's, all, all clips of him now are just tinged with tragedy. And it's like, it's almost like a lesson. Every time you watch a clip of Robin Williams, it's like, yeah, to know that such talent and such comedic power has a swing side, has a different thing. I was leading a Jewish summer camp when he died. Okay. <laughs> like we were in somewhere in Wales where you like didn't have your phone and you had yeah. this thing where you weren't supposed to be on your phone. So I remember going to get my phone and I saw the news yeah. and I was like, oh my God, I can't. But then I was like, we need to go back. Everyone's got to rush back. And I remember this kid. <laughs> Not because with... of Robin Williams, right? But just, <laughs> no, no, it's like the business I thought you meant like, everyone found out the news and they're like, we've no. got to go home. <laughs> Robin Williams has died. Cancel the camp. And I remember like, being really affected by it and just trying to process it. And I'm sitting at lunch, the kid like pulls my shirt and is like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, Robin Williams just died. <laughs> so oh, I remember where I was. Kid. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, look, so obviously we're in awards season. Do you want to just talk about the Golden Globes quickly? Which yeah, happened that last happened. week. Um, I think it's more just uh, interesting to touch in about where the, the Oscar race is in the moment. My, my, my big thing to take away, because Austin Butler won for Elvis. Hi, this I is really Austin Butler. Thank you. I can never have done the. No, that's too. Uh, that is him as Elvis. He's ripping. Oh, he's still got the uh, Elvis twang. Hi, this uh, is Austin Butler. He's got the slight. He does. Uh, I, lo I love your films. If you watch the uh, roundtables yes, at the moment, yeah. which are fantastic, the oh, uh, Hollywood I, really, I keep needing to check them well, out. Well, we're lucky this year. There's there's two actors ones. There's the LA Times did one, and then the obviously the Hollywood Reporter does its usual one, and the, half the actors cross over. But anyway, and he's like, yeah, uh, Austin Butler. But uh, so he won for Elvis, and I, I remember thinking this. I need to watch that because um, because for so long the buzz has been about Brendan Fraser winning for the Whale, right? Yeah, and I knew this would happen. Is that the big sort of excitement about Brendan Fraser being in The Whale was like September, just mm. after it had been at Venice. A long time ago. Right, and he got the standing ovations, and then into October at the London Film Festival as well. Mm. But I remember thinking at the time, I was like, it's a great performance, you know, and I saw it. You can it, check out George's review of Tar on the feed. At Whale. The Whale, sorry, of yeah. Whale on the feed. Tar's today. <laughs> <laughs> you found and, Tar. Um, but I remember thinking like, yeah, but the Oscars are in March. Like that's a long time mm. to sustain momentum, right? And I remember this, I think what's happening to Brendan Fraser is, is what happened to Steve Carell a few years ago when he was nominated for Foxcatcher, right? Yes. There was a real buzz early on, like the September time. They were like, holy shit, Steve Carell, who we all think of as like this TV comedy actor. I want to have is, is, a conversation is like, with you. Yeah. Uh, a coach is, a yeah. father is. Wanna... Anyway, he had, there was real buzz that Steve Carell was mm. going to win uh, an Oscar and everyone got really excited about it. But the thing is, People, People get bored and they, they want a new story. It. And yeah. now the story is, look at this new up-and-comer um, Austin Butler coming out. Mm. It's no longer about the comeback. We've had that now. The story's got old and it, it just happens. Um, it must be hard to try and time your film for the Oscars as well as avoiding Avatar <laughs> at oh, all God, costs, yeah, right? Because that basically right. owned December pretty much. Well, they were saying that The Whale opened very small over the Christmas period, but actually mm. done, has done very well for the limited release that it had. Yeah. Um, when's anyway. it out in the UK not for another couple of weeks uh, I think February yeah God, it's yeah. a really long time yeah. I'll see it <laughs> <laughs> I've seen like a couple of like extended trailers of him with like a yeah I just think I just think don't you know because like I get it sent to me and I'm like I'm ready to you just experience to see it. it yeah, yeah. Um, anyway uh, that was it but the the, the, the um Kehi Kwan from Everything Everywhere All at Once did that really wonderful speech really where he speech. Um, 
shouted out Steven Spielberg. Yeah. For, it, was, it was just like, what a wonderful, like, serendipitous thing that he could be in the audience. He gave him his first break in Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. And, and then he's there he gets saying that, like, I wonder if that would, the, the thing I did when I was a child would be the only thing that would define me or that I'd ever be remembered mm. by. And thank you so much for like changing that yeah. and making me be defined by something else. And just think about how many other actors there are out there who you did something 20, 30 years ago that yeah. you've never thought of again, who are in that position. You never really thought, oh, they just would love to do something yeah. else. They'd love to be known for something else. And like, it's just a case of you get a chance or an opportunity to do that and you hope it's one that's worthwhile. Yeah. It, was, it was really touching. I think... In terms of best pictures, uh, well, I think, uh, you know, the best actress uh, category is now really, it's Michelle's, the, Leo's the front runner, yeah. followed by, well, I think actually a split between Kate Blanchett, who won for Tar, but also um, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Um, I think it's probably gonna be Michelle Yeoh. Um, in terms of best actor, oh, sorry, the best, best film, I think it's now looking like Fablemans on one hand and... Banshees, maybe, yeah. potentially. I prefer, well, we'll talk about it, but um, I, I think Banshees, I, 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 it's stretching the limit of, of how much I enjoyed it. So it's like, I, I liked it, but the more people go, got to win all these awards, I'm thinking, yeah, it, it does that thing where it almost makes you like the film less. The, the more concept to the Banshees is so much more attractive than actually, I think, watching that film all the way through and leaving the cinema. Yes. I'm actually like more, I was more yeah. interested in the, like the director, actors and concepts and actually yeah. like having lived it and consumed that meal. The, and like, the, yeah. I also think there's something very safe about like voting for Banshees. Like we talked about before, it's not a tie, because it's, it's not tied to anything. It's not attached yeah, to anything. I know it's, what you mean. It's locked in this little bubble hundred years ago. Small cast, it's kind of like a fable. It's kind of, locked away whereas Williams obviously the fablemans for spielberg is so personal and oh, it's got, spielberg for it's an Oscar. about and it's about cinema and yeah anyway that must be such a thing in decisions of like being no one wants to be the obvious choice for the awards everyone wants to subvert expectations is also the idea of um yeah. inclusion and oscars so white having happened a few years ago mm. that sort of affects people's decisions and like how who we're awarding for what reasons mm. anyway well i mean it's going to change from week to week but um oh, we, also um white lotus winning oh, and, and um, um, Jennifer Coolidge's speech, speech. Amazing. <laughs> just fully is that character in the best way like yeah. hi yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my neighbors talk to me now they, they talk it's incredible <laughs> Mike White you are and then just seeing Mike White's face yeah. like tearing up Mr. Yeah, Schneebly so <laughs> my uh, my flatmates just started watching season two and oh yeah um, we watched the first episode of the season two again, and there's so many things you pick up on that now, now having mm. seen the whole thing that you go, oh, I just want to dive back in. And, mm. uh, anyway, but yes, that was the Golden Globe. So we'll keep an eye on the Oscar race. Yes, but um, we are going to be talking about the Fablemans next week, yes. which should be very exciting along with Babylon. So stay tuned mm. for episode 60 next week. So Tar is the release this week that we've both seen. Mm -hmm. you, in the meantime, you've caught up on a couple of films we've spoken about before, haven't you? Yes. Uh, I'm going to start with Empire of Light. Right. That's a couple yeah. of things I caught up on. I remember, please go, I reposted George's review of Empire of Light back when he got the chance to see it at the London Film Festival. Please go check that out for a more sort of full detailed description of that film. And, you know, you said some of your, your words, you were a little bit disappointed, thought it was quite obvious filmmaking. Yes. Um, went to go see it with my mum because I thought, you know, on paper, this is a film that ticks a lot of boxes for me. Sam Mendes, Sam Mendes director that I like. Shot by Roger Deakins, beautifully shot by yeah. Roger Deakins. Cast, Olivia Colman, yeah. Colin Firth, Toby Jones, all actors which I would go like, surely we, mm -hmm. um, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross yeah. doing the score. Absolutely. And um, 
you know, it started and just like you said, beautifully shot, the way in which that film takes you back immediately in time to an old cinema with gorgeous architecture. Cinematography was the, my favourite thing about the film is that it was a joy to look at. Yes. And uh, one of the things that really validated me when it started that this was, it sort of confirmed the accuracy of its period is when it showed lots of different shots of the space and then it had a shot of the confectionery desk mm. and my mum goes, oh, the old sweets. Yeah. Which yeah. immediately for me was like, okay, well, obviously that legitimizes how accurately yeah. they've thought about all of these different things. And um, I just, the, you know, it does, it does, it does, it just, what a film to demonstrate. It does not matter how good your cast is, yeah. your cinematography and your music. If the dialogue is not good enough, like, wow, what a, what a letdown. Yeah. And um, I just, there, there were some moments where I, you know, the, the beginning I actually thought was was strong and I was into it. And then there's just uh, character decisions and what lines that people tell each other, which I, I was sort of chuckling to myself. Yeah. I couldn't believe it was going there. Yeah, yeah. You've got this, this subplot, which is, you know, um, racism in, in Thatcher's Britain in, yeah. in the 80s. And um, the way in which that story evolves, there's certain beats I saw coming. Yeah, I know. From a mile obvious away. Obvious filmmaker, yeah. And very obvious. And I'm like, is that like really you're trying to do that in this film? Yeah. And a lot of the time I felt like there were five ideas really badly unexplored, yes. which just felt like none of them were properly yeah. unpacked. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's, you know, you get to this point where, you know, Olivia Collins' character is suffering with mental health yeah. and there's you know it culminates in this big gesture and i really didn't feel like i know that that's a, you know a decision that's made from somebody who's not mentally well but i really wasn't there for it and i'm like that's just not what i, I would have thought was cathartic for this point in the film Look, that was like a great performance from her trapped in a underwritten yeah. character yeah and there's this moment where you know um I, i'm gonna i'm gonna start so spoilers for empire of life if you haven't seen it where eventually the obvious point of where you know he gets attacked by the skinheads yeah. and olivia coleman is seeing it and reacting and giving like everything in this emotional yeah. oh my god i can't this this is just awful yeah. but i really felt nothing it's yeah. very tragic that i felt nothing for that because it was such an obvious move do you also think it's such a kind of limp boring outdated way of like about racism addressing now. that and yeah just yeah. like it's the oh gosh isn't it terrible isn't it terrible kind of racism and oh. like the idea of that romance could have been more interestingly done but what? but wasn't and hit, you know a young black guy trying to get what? himself what? into college yeah. to, to college i thought I, yeah lots of interesting like i i, I really dislike the scene when they go up and the, it's the abandoned place not because i didn't like the way it looked but it's like the whole when he looks bird. after the bird oh, yeah oh, i know oh. i remember you saying that and i'm like what's that got to do with, just apart yeah. from to show that isn't he's, he he's nice? nice and um I, I totally understand why she was attracted to him. I have yeah. absolutely no reason. I have no understanding why he wanted to get into a relationship with her. No, yeah. I, I, other than other than so the movie can happen. I'm like I don't, I don't understand why you. And, you yeah. know, scenes when she's in her apartment and the police are going to take her away, and it sort of it sort of happens and then comes back, and I just am like that's a whole sequence that just felt at odds with the rest of what it was trying to do. It's, it doesn't yeah. have like a clear, like, you know, almost with a, with a with an essay, you want to be like, what's the, what do I really want to communicate in yeah. this film? I feel like it really needed a thing to be like, this is what I'm trying to do. And it just felt like it was doing far too it, much. It's it, very disappointing. It feels like someone who's very successful, like Sam Mendes is, yeah. getting, getting to a point and going, you know, cinema, it's just kind of like together, mm. isn't it? What do you mean, Sam? Well, it's just kind of like, it doesn't matter if you're different. It's kind of like magic, yeah? It's right. also another, I think, I think that's very hot right now is filmmakers making films about films. making films. Yes. Oh, filmmaking. Yeah. And, you know, we've had, we had Kenneth Branagh with Belfast. We've got Spielberg with The Fablemans. We've now yeah. got, yeah. and I think that isn't just an automatic ticket to pluck at my heartstrings and yeah. make me think your film's amazing because, oh, isn't it incredible film director is romanticizing film? I think, I think when you watch The Fablemans, you will see that the Empire of Light 
you, you just go, oh, yeah, yeah, no chance. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely no way. Yeah. And um, there, was, I mean, like, there were scenes with, I'm uh, sorry, Toby Jones, like doing the, the mechanical projection swapping. Wonderful. Beautiful. Yeah. Loved it. Different Works well in a different film. Like what's that also, got to do with it? Did you remember my thing about how there are lines that are passingly amusing or witty. Yeah. Did you have anyone laugh out loud in your screening? No, but it was very empty screening. Right, but imagine in like the passing, like amusing bits to have mm. someone behind you go, That's like I did. Anyway. Sorry, just one more. The sandcastle scene where she's building it and then destroys it. I was like, wait, the scene ended. I'm like, wait, what was the intention of that scene? It's very, it's it's weak. It's just really- It's a real shame. It is, it's a real shame. On paper, I'd be like, yeah, look at that. Look at all those things together. It's really weak. It's really weak, which um, is a shame. I'm glad, I'm glad. So you kind of felt the same way. That, that was out this week. It'll probably be next week by the time people listen to this. But if you also saw it and had thoughts, I'm very interested yeah. to hear as always. And hello, those spoilers you mentioned on, uh, very, very, very mild. Spoilers, very mild. You can still, if you haven't seen it, you want to check it out. Uh, uh, beautiful to look at yes. from a cinematography yeah. standpoint. Put it on mute. Um, incredible on to look at. Speaking of gorgeous cinematography, I wanted to move on to After Sun, mm. which I've been trying to catch up on and finally did. And, uh, did you watch it from the beginning? Like I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I saw the beginning. Don't worry. Um, yes, yeah, so as always, uh, as always, as before, uh, this George saw this a couple of weeks ago. That was in an episode which you can check out, and it's Charlotte Wells's film, which is I've seen on a lot of um, people's Twitter films of 2022. Yes. It's like thrown in there as like one of people's favourites, and um, I, I thought it was absolutely beautiful to look at. Talk mm. about cinematography from Gregory Oakey, and I've never seen. Uh, such a masterclass in capturing texture as a mm. way of like, you know, communicating a sense of memory. Mm. And, you know, it's, I, I don't want to spoil it because I think if people still haven't seen it, they should, but it was, you know, the way it ended was really mm. sad. And when it became clear what that film was doing and being yes. someone who is now a grown up trying to remember and articulate something that at the time they only understood as a child. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a really great, um, you know, uh, a, a solid understanding of what depression is like, but never really sort of addressing it head on, but trying to use the eyes of a mm. child to only try to remember things that you would yeah. have from that holiday. Um, and like the sounds of the arcade, the yeah. texture of a dry ta- hand resting on a dry mm. towel. Um, and I love it when it was trying to tell you that it's not just the sight of something you're remembering, but the smell of yeah. like sun cream. And it would you would hear like, yeah, when someone was rubbing something in, because the smell of sun cream, yes, and like those holiday so things awesome. you put on, is so powerful. And um, I just really enjoyed it. Like uh, it's shot on film. I, I was googling like what cameras and lenses it was shot on, just out of curiosity. Like very nice S four Cook lenses for anyone in the oh, know. Yeah, and it's Cook got this. I, listened to it. I watched an interview with Greg Yoki talking about like pastel filters on yeah. almost in the nineties, obviously. Yeah, set in the nineties, almost no wide shots. All of it very sort of like portrait head and shoulders, and yeah. just just very very sad. And I, I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, that. Um, did you see what I mean about how that film is kind of playing and then it, it kind of reveals itself at the end? It yes. kind of builds this really interesting climax, yeah. which is th- really powerful. It, and it, it was in that moment that I was like, oh, I really, there's something, there's really something powerful going on in this film. Yeah, I it, it all kind of watch. gets you at the end and you're like, I see now, instead of just saying, listen, uh, t- trying to be really obvious and telling you exactly who yeah. this character is. But at the end of the film, I'm like, yeah, I know who that is yeah. without having interrogated them for an hour and a half. Like I understand it's that, almost, that, that person. It's almost like the young, is it Sophie? Is her name Sophie? Mm, I can't it's like the young, uh, the, the, the daughter in it. It's like she, in her recollection of the holiday, she, do- she doesn't want to remember the real, real thing at the center of it. And it's, and it's almost like you're eventually stripping Sophie. it away and stripping it away until mm. the end when it has this amazing, amazing, powerful emotional climax. Yeah. Um, 
I, I really, I'm looking forward to rewatching it. Um, you know, I, 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 I think I was just a bit uh, dumbfounded by it. And also, as you, you, did you pick up on the, you know, like the, the ha- it's the hanging silences. It's the empty mm. film. It's, it's show not tell. It's really, yeah. uh, you really have to kind of engage, uh, which is great. So um, well, I'm glad you got, you got up with that. Yeah, I can see yeah. why it's, it struck people in, in, in a different way and, it, and people have kept it in their top films last year. And then the last film I watched this week, which I felt like was impossible to ignore right. in the film consumption community, and that was Megan, Matrigan, M3 Gan. Yes. And, um, the horror, horror think, film? Yeah. It's not a horror film. Horror it comedy? Is, yeah, it's, uh, it's Intentionally funny. Comedy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into it because it's interesting okay. where this film places. I, I'll be quick, but obviously you, you, I, I think you know what Megan is. Megan is this film that dro- had a trailer drop a few weeks ago that was impossible to ignore. It's kind of like a modern day conjuring style, ho- what looks like a horror film, but isn't really. Um, so, uh, so Alison Williams plays Gemma, who works for this big tech toy company, and she used to work on these uh, toys, which are basically like Furbies. You know, like they have like I need feeding. Let's have a great day. Like very sort of simple, rudimental, yeah. like play Tamagotchi, but in real life thing. And she's working in the basement on this um, really advanced, uh, like humanoid style robot, and. Um, it's called Megan. And the reason it's called Megan is it's uh, oh, Isn't it a Mark III. It's like Mark III genetic, genetic androids. Which right? I thought they called it M3 again, which really screws them if they want to have three of these. If they want to do a third one, it's just obvious. But anyway, so she's created this like new technology and the CEO is like pressuring her like, oh, we need to have something new to the market because this our competitor just made our other toy for half the price. Like we need to have something else. And so she shows him this concept and um, he's like, oh my God, this is incredible. And what does she do? Which is a great idea. She brings a sentient AI home to play with her uh, adopted, uh, her adopted child. And uh, obviously it all just goes wrong. Look, it... <laughs> This I think I think this film is is kind of rubbish, but it works. Right. And the reason why it works is because it it's really self-aware of what it is. And if it was not self-aware, it would have felt like this, like the AI at the heart of it, like right? The AI <laughs> at the heart of it, it would have felt pretentious and just would have not worked. It's made the like conjuring Annabelle style films yeah. look like now really naff. Okay. This film would be amazing with friends and some drinks cool. and a sleepover. Right. This is, you would have, I guarantee you would have an amazing time making fun of this film. Okay. Does, that for, does that therefore make it invalid as a, as a movie? No, I, no. I don't think so. No, not at all. I would want to watch another one because I'm excited to see what other stupid shit they could, they <laughs> okay. could do. Because I was laughing at it and interestingly, some of the supporting characters are stand-up comedians. Right. So inherently, the delivery is slightly like, I know this is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm aware, like the writing and delivery okay. knows that it's a bit dumb. There are moments where like, okay, the doll, they're bringing the doll to go and do something. And I'm like rubbing my hands like, oh, this should be good. Yeah, yeah. Like it is, it is crap, it is crap, right? But I've actually enjoyed yeah, no watching it until the end. And like, so the doll of Megan looks like, you know, when you get face tune and you make someone's eyes really yes. big and you smooth their skin and you like make them really like cute and triangular. That's what she looks like. And there are a couple of really funny moments where the child's becoming like increasingly increasingly attached to Megan, which is quite concerning because she's, you know, got all sorts of yeah. issues and the mother's quite concerned that maybe she's getting too close to Megan and what's Megan telling her behind her back? And she needs to start a new, her first day at a new school. And she's like, no, I only want to go with Megan. And she's like, sweetie, you can't take Megan. Like, well, you have to go to school now. And they're both in the back seat of the car. 
and the daughter's refusing to come out. And she's like, look, you've got to go. She's like, no, not without Megan. And one of the teachers from the school comes to the car and is like, hey, have we got some new starters here today? And Gemma's like, yes, my, my daughter, Amy, uh, my daughter uh, is, is starting today. And the, and the teacher goes, and what about your other daughter? And she goes, oh no. And Megan just does this thing where she's in the back seat and she just looks at the teacher like this. <laughs> and the teacher just goes, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I was laughing so much. And like, if you see the trailer, you know like how ridiculous it gets. Yeah. And at the end, it kind of teases that you know, even though Megan's gone, uh, she could live for on forever. So I would actually, not really. It's it's not. It, it, yeah, okay. you could just enjoy it. And I, I think. It's not in any way got like incredible merit, but it's funny, it's entertaining. If you are gonna watch it with some friends well, and a couple you know of what? drinks, it's funny and I would watch a sequel, which I think is quite interesting. I, I have a group of friends who are going to see it at the cinema tomorrow mm. and I, I have I can go with them, but I, I I'd kind of like chose not to go, but should I go by the sounds of it? Maybe if I want to have a good have time. Have a couple of drinks All and right. then like enjoy ripping into I think it would be funnier to like make fun of it as you're watching it, which you can't do in the cinema. No, no, no. But yeah, oh. I think a testament to the marketing and concept assembly of that film for it just being like impossible to ignore. Yes, and I was the kind of like robot, the dance and just what what, what happens. Okay, it's, it's well that's funny. fair enough then. That's yeah. fine. That because I have seen it described as like horror comedy, so it's like a self-aware it's not horror. horror. It's like it's 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 definitely got comedy elements. It's kind of thrilling, and there's just so many scenes where Megan has done something terrible, and everyone's like, "What's happened?" And you just see like Megan. Megan's eyes over the over like the road of a car, and it's meant to be really intimidating, but it's just really funny. <laughs> I'm just thinking, I'm like, this looks ridiculous. Megan's just like, <laughs> um, so yeah. Like, okay, that's Regan. Take it or leave it. Okay, so let's talk about Tar, which is the Tar Tar. I can't help because the accent yes. on the A Tar Tar. Uh, the new release uh, with Kate Blanchett, which has uh, got you know rapturous posters with rapturous reviews on it, and uh, is uh, you know Kate Blanchett won a Golden Globe for her performance, uh, and is you know will be in the Oscars race definitely, and is probably the the nearest um, competitor to Michelle Yeoh at the moment. And you and I, when we talked about the Oscars many months ago, we did the kind of look ahead at the mm-hmm. films coming out. We we we. We're aware of Tar. I think there was one teaser trailer out the mo- at the time. We thought this looks really interesting. It's directed by Todd Field, who hasn't made a film since 2006. And he, oh wow, um, yeah, called Little Children. And, uh, you know, he, he was kind of a distinctive uh, American indie voice. It hasn't made anything, so, in, you know, in 15, 15, 16 years. So, um, have I got that right? Yes, it is 15, 16 years. Maths was never my strong suit. Anyway, um, so he returns now with Tar. Um, so just to give you the, the broad setup, Tar. Um, well, first of all, describing um, the plot of Tar is quite funny because if the film was an orchestra, the, okay, plot, the plot would be the triangle that comes in every so often just to go ding. It's very <laughs> hard. Ding. It, oh, oh, there's the plot over there. I see. It became increasingly hard to take everything that happened literally. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I'm so sorry. Um, just, you keep going. So Tar, if it can be described in one way, Lydia Tar is a fictional um, composer who is like the apex predator of her game. She is at the complete top and mastery of her form. The film begins with this sort of keynote panel that's being chaired by a real life journalist from the New Yorker, 
with uh, uh, Lydia Tarr, played by Kate Blanchett. And it's this conversation about, oh, you know, Lydia Tarr, she's, she's, she's been all over the world. She graduated, she did this. Just this illuminated career. theatre, filled crowds. Yeah, of, and yeah. they mentioned she's, she's an EGOT winner. She's won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. She's just, you know, everything is clear that she's at the top of her game. And they have this panel discussion about classical music and about the influence of Leonard Bernstein and Mahler and um, her interpretation of what what being a conductor is. There's loads of like stuff which like for classical music wise went completely over my head, but I really believe they knew what they were talking about. Um, and she dresses, the whole film is shot in kind of very cold, uh, cold palette. And she dresses in these kind of uh, dull blues and cold greys. And uh, the film primarily takes place in Berlin where she lives. And, and we're told at the beginning that she's working with the Berlin uh, Symphony Orchestra to complete a cycle, I think they say, um, and do Beethoven, is it Beethoven's fifth? Mahler's fifth. Mahler's fifth, number sorry, five, thank you. Which is going to be her like biggest. Yeah, it's, and, and it's like, this is like her masterpiece. They reference Beethoven's fifth quite a lot structurally. Yes, um, and uh, so she's going to be doing Mahler's fifth and she says, yeah, rehearsals begin on Monday and it's clear that this, you know, she's arriving at like the crowning jewel of, of her career. She has a, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a put upon assistant uh, played by Naomi Merlant who was in Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, who, you know, to sort of who sort of rolls her eyes in the background whenever Tar's speaking. Uh, she has her her partner, her wife, um, in in Berlin, and they live in this architecturally wondrous but similarly very cold and bleak um, yeah. uh, apartment, which is is double double exposed vaulted concrete. ceilings, huge expo- exposed concrete ceilings, um, beautifully designed but also unwelcoming yes, and something cold uh, yeah. and sterile. And um, uh, she they live with a daughter, whoever lives, an adopted daughter. And um, she spends a bit of time in New York. Mark Strong makes a very brief appearance as uh, a fellow conductor who's sort of in admiration. Mm. She's got, um, she's, the the, the strands of the plot, she's got to replace her assistant conductor because she finds him tiresome and eccentric. She wants, she's getting contacted at the very periphery or whether someone from her past is trying to contact her about something. It's sort of being channeled through the assistant. You have the arrival of a new cellist at uh, cellist, celloist, yes, celloist, yes, celloist. As you are, uh, you have the arrival of a of a new cellist, celloist who is is young, passionate, unorthodox, and deeply attractive to Tatar. Like I said, the, the the plot is kind of peripheral because the whole film, I think, can be described as being framed through her perception and ego. Um, going going forward. So I think it's worth just beginning to describe Tar in that, you know, I totally get, I totally understand if people will see this film and not like it or not connect to it. Yes. It is slow, long, it's two hours 40. It's very cold. It's sparse. It's a little bleak. It's strange. It's kind of impenetrable. It doesn't really allow, you know, it, it makes the, you as an audience member work hard to, to poke through the gaps and see, see the wood through the trees. Yet, despite all of that, I found it like really beguiling. I think that's the word. And, and mm. I, I almost like bewitching actually, because there's yeah. this kind of sinisterness uh, underplaying it. And, you know, from the be- very beginning, um, even though it begins in, I find it's like quite an annoying way where, the, it begins with the end credits, essentially. Mm. And I, I remember thinking, okay, look, old I know this is how school. they used to do films in the old days, but your first 10 minutes of your film are such prime real estate. We're all mm. here ready to watch. And 
It's just this kind of dead Text silence with some vague um, tune behind it. Um, but you open with this, this, this keynote speech that um, uh, she's doing and I was really hooked and it, and that's, and, and, it won't be for everyone, but I think like in that the film is targeting like your intellect really mm. and discuss and, and their discussion about classical music, even though I'm a layman to that, as are you, yeah. was still very interesting. I was still managed to engage and follow with it. Mm. Um, I think that uh, you know that that th- th- that's the thing. It, it, I was I was strangely engaged and beguiled by the whole thing as a whole. But I will go into more detail. But James, what what did you think? A lot of similar thoughts. Like I as a whole, found it very compelling and interesting mm. to watch. It was yeah. always engaged with yes. what it was trying I'd to do. I never felt that two hours 40, really. Not I, really, I, I, no. I, was, I, I, I always was able, as you said, to, you know, there's, there's like a good 12 minute scene where you're just watching uh, Lydia Tarr's Juilliard's uh, co- composition yes. course. Unbroken and I actually, take, yeah. Uh, yeah, what unbroken take. And I was actually, that scene ended and I go, oh, I was actually quite enjoying listening yeah. to that. I was like getting my access to a Juilliard education. Um, but, you know, just talking about, you talk about its pace and being slightly slow and impenetrable. I think where I think uh, maybe I left wanting with it, and I think where a lot of people might as well, is that because it's, it's, it's a really intriguing mix of gothic horror, yes. nightmare plots, yes. and... Very, very vague, Vegas whisper of horror. Yes. Say, but, but There's a couple of moments which really got me. Yes, um, yeah. Like, you know, deep psychological interpretation, lots of random incident that's thrown yes. in there as well. And I think I think coming to the end, I was expecting a more obvious um, something to be more obviously communicated to me. That doesn't happen. And I think what mm. happens is there's about a moment to th- well in the beginning she talks very clearly about how a conductor's sense of pace and time mm. with their right hand is almost more accurate than a clock. Mm. And you know she's, she's demonstrated by how steady she can dictate time. Mm. And the pacing of that whole entire first part of the film is like really consistent. And something happens to the character where for whatever reason she's no longer able to use her right hand in the mm. same way something happens to a Back. And from that moment, the pacing goes completely haywire. Mm. And you get scenes which are, so in the beginning, it's like, I think the first 30 minutes is three scenes, three mm. long scenes. And it's just very consistently metronomically yes. taking you through. And then that moment happens. And you could arguably say from that point, everything I'm seeing could be taken with a huge pinch of salt as to whether or not it's actually happening or if it's in her head. Oh, I, I think so. Mm. And then what happens is the pace just goes scene, 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 location, location, mm. boom, boom, new place, credits. And I found that very interesting in the way that you've used the structure and form of your film mm. to act as a you know way and to tell you that something might be off with the character and the plot. And I think the first scene mm. and the last scene could be quite nicely contrasted. So there's ideas in that which I find really interesting. Mm. But I'm almost like the way in which it ends made me now look back and think much deeply about what this film is and what it's trying to do, which I enjoy as an intellectual exercise. But as a satisfying ending to a film, I'm not sure I was there. Well, that's the thing. It's hard. It is a bit of hard work. And when I finished it, I kind of felt exhausted, but not necessarily unrewarded. It's just, it's not the kind of film that you kind of come out lifted and having having had a great time. It's more, like I said, an intellectual boxing match. Um, I felt differently about the ending. Like, well, I said that at the beginning, they, they, they big up that it's all heading towards this performance. And I think it's worth saying that if you're going into this film expecting bravura scenes of musical performance and- It's not whiplash. It's not gonna happen. This isn't whiplash at all. There's the vaguest bit of DNA that you could arguably say stitches the two together, but this is not, if you're expecting that, if you're expecting long scenes of Kate Blanchett conducting in full, not really, you get kind of brief. Um, I I didn't notice the way that the pacing changed, but I did, 
like it, so it's mentioned about this performance that it's building up towards and i felt like the whole time i was watching it i was like this gives it a sense of direction and, and yeah. i was fine with that and then when the moment comes they subvert that mm. in a way where i go oh was i oh i see what you've done there because that's now happened and i didn't realize and now i've seen it uh i understand what you've done and then the kind of subsequent scenes heading towards the you know in the last maybe 20 minutes of the film builds towards the last scene the last shot of the film is basically a punchline mm. isn't it it's this kind of switch on the audience and i go okay okay and there are some very very subtle but but major plot things that are revealed like the number five do you know what i mean the number five Oh yes, we can talk about this more in details maybe another time. But yeah. like the the idea of the fifth and you know being a selection of women and like choosing number five. Oh really? I thought like that. I thought of it. Um, it's, it's so much. I, it, I thought more about the how can I tell this but not spoil away when uh, the medals you see that uh, and the interaction with the, the, a man that, that certain things that we assumed were true are not. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. and that kind of uh, reframes it. Um, uh, yeah, the, the bits of horror are interesting because, like, it's very subtle. And there are these, um, mm. you know, we mentioned that uh, Tar basically spends the whole film kind of haunted. The whole film it's is it's haunted, yeah, yeah, by some ghost story. And, and there are moments, very, very fleeting blink moments. Blink, you miss them. Blink, you miss it. Where there is almost like an apparition in the corner. It's terrible. I thought and, it was terrifying. Yeah. And, the, and there's two. And there was one that was so fleeting. I thought, Christ, am I the only person who saw yeah, that? Yeah. Um, and she, and, and and also she's haunted by. You know, you're aware that she's this apex genius like i said as she goes but she's also haunted by sound and she keeps hearing things the hum of a fridge at night the hum of a light that this alarm that keeps going off going in off building. these two tones and she goes to the piano and it's like re- trying to find those two tones yeah. and score it and see if, like this haunting thing it's going to inspire her but what i also found really in, uh, rewarding when i was watching it is that in the canon of like movie villains it's, I started to realize that I'm watching like one of the most interesting depictions of a villain mm. I've ever seen. Cause you realize that Lydia Tarr is wicked, really wicked yeah. person. Her whole and world's unraveling. Her whole world is unraveling. But again, it's that thing that she's so egotistical and myopic that it's happening in a very peripheral part of her From mind her and very peripheral part of the plot. Mm. And it sort of injects itself here and then so and like the moment she's on a, she's on a run and she hears like a horrible screaming yes, yeah. but she can't quite place where it is but you get the sense she's got this acute yeah. hearing right composer and she's picking up on all these things but doesn't always know how to make sense of them and yeah but i think you could in the you could hear in our discussion that the thing with tar is is that you watch it and although you might come out a little bit confused a little bit yeah. confounded I think we're both aware that there's definitely something in this film mm. that is is worst is is there's something much deeper going on it's there. Rich and I remember I, I was watching thinking I don't this is not like anything I've seen at least at least recently. This yeah. doesn't sort of immediately compare itself to something. No. And and I I was aware I was thinking about how Todd Field hadn't made a film in a while and I was like I really get this sort of fresh energy sense that this guy has come back from all this time away mm. and given us this film and i remember thinking this is a I, I, the way you're looking at this with the hyper specific steely gaze that you're shooting this this story with i find really like um tantalizing and, and, and engrossing compelling yeah despite the fact like we said it's impenetrable and, it, and, and it's cold and you, of course at the heart you've got a great performance by 
Kate Blanchard doing, you know, it's a, it's a Kate Blanchard performance She's in that fantastic. it's very grand. She does the, no, I don't think I'd like to do this. My CJ, she holds out her coffee and her assistant picks it up. Yeah. And here's my code. And that's not just, that's, I didn't mean anything in respect to Kate Blanchard no. at all. I meant just like, you know, we know how Kate Blanchard is one of the great actors uh, mm. around and she delivers, shockingly, a great performance. Um, but I think, so it was one of the things I, I really liked as a way to get to know a character is through listening to them lecture a course about music composition. I thought on music theory. I thought that was a really great yeah. way to tell me who that person is whilst also they're doing a job and trying to communicate ideas to students. So it's inherently like didactic and educational, but you as an audience member are also like knowing all about who that person is. Mm. And it's an you know, interesting way that scene sort of ends yeah. but it, in a way it comes to frame in the end yes. i was like what a what great way to tell me who that person is as well as like using the format of that very um illustrious panel or sorry yeah. like the theater conversation yeah like, i thought it's, it's a good way to do it yeah and so it's you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like this very sort of densely packed weed of uh, of a narrative you know through the weeds but Todd Field is plotting a course for you to follow there. Mm. And, and, and there, there are, there are, I never felt truly lost at all. No. I, I, there were moments where I thought, oh, did I catch that right? Or did I catch there? So that's that tantalizing, and there, just enough information to keep you going. And the references you miss, you don't understand, don't lead you astray. Yes. You're just like, okay, that's, I, I see what they're saying. Um, so I think coming out of it, I think we both had that thing where it's like, that was a really different viewing experience. Mm. Like um, uh, we've come out sort of our, our minds kind of singing. Into, it's challenged. an intellectual challenge, yeah. but not in a way that's uh, elitist or snobbery. You know, I never felt no. talked down to because I didn't know classical music. I felt no. like I was getting a, a pinhole prick look into this world and being told this really specific story about the paucity of people who reach that yes. level of accolade and like what, yeah. how they now receive people. And you know, it's, it, it, it's got a lot of uh, debate about what it's saying about cancel culture and because it plays a huge part yeah. of, you know, how her character unwinds and it has a lot to say on how much you should consider an artist based on what yeah. they've done, which you know, if anyone's paid attention to media in the last like, yeah. 10 years, it's been very hot. And I don't think it gives, I, th I think it'd be wrong to reduce it to a single argument on, yes. on I think people say, oh, it's clearly the, um, this is a big like F you to cancel culture, which mm. I don't think it is. And it's also, I don't think in the reverse, which would be also reductive. It's just putting out something that's happening a lot to people and you can yeah. go in with your own uh, ideas I, and take away something completely different away. I, I totally agree. I, I, I read a review that was like, oh, well, what Tar says about cancel culture? I'm like, I don't think it's about mm. anything, one thing in particular. I think it's so reductive to do that, as you say. Yeah. Like you could read that in there, but the brilliance of Tar in a way is that it does just stand entirely on its own two feet. Yeah. I, it's a really, I mean, I hate to use the word unique because it's one of those words that's so overused and by its nature, everything is unique. But I thought this was a really distinctive, unique kind of yeah. thing I was watching. It's got, I mean, Martin Scorsese like came out and said that for him, he watched Tar and it was like the clouds parted for the future of cinema. And he like, he wow. could see a future. And I was like, what Put a high praise to box. So uh, a really intriguing Interesting one. If you're up for it, give it a go. Yeah. I totally understand if people don't get it. And oh, not not to get it. Sorry, it's not like if just don't don't, get on, go, don't get on with it. Yeah. And I could feel that in the you know I treated myself to a to a curzon and I went and watched. Oh, it. I'm glad I did because yeah. that's such a fucking cold film <laughs> that I wanted like, the, at least the warmth and the coziness of my a screening was very cold. By the way, I saw it in a multiplex. I was oh, cold. God. I put my puff on and I zipped it up. How many people were in your screening? Ooh, I'd say it, there were like 15 of us, okay. which uh, for this, I saw it yeah. Friday at 1 p.m. That is a lot. For, yeah, and for it was, obscure film. And it was lots of, um, if I was to, from my quick glance into the auditorium, it was lots of um, 
middle-aged men with nice thick framed glasses sitting sitting like this with their legs folded to (laughs) the side touching their chins and I was like oh I think this is like on the opening day that came out I think this is the audience of like people who are interested in films who are seeing this also you know I I work with architects and I can already tell I'm going to meet a lot of people at work who are going to go I saw Tar I thought it was brilliant the the conceptualization I saw it with a bunch of architects clearly (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that um, yeah so in the in the where I saw it, I I did feel like I was probably actually one of the most engaged people. And I don't mean that in a snobbish way, I meant just purely yeah. because I was reacting to stuff. There's a bit where she takes a pen. Did you see that? Yes. And, she, and, and, yeah, I, and I, did I found see that, that really fun. I was like, ah. And like, she like no distracts else, him and takes a yeah, pen. And, yeah. and, and some other people I could just feel weren't going along. I think people were like, oh no, I thought this was going to be whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if that was going to be like a plot thing or something. Yeah. No, but it didn't. It was just irritated. like a little thing. Yeah. And also, because. I mean, broadly speaking, you could say that her, she loves, she's a composer, she loves order mm. and disorder to her timing. So when there's a scene where someone tap, is tapping their leg, which is very annoying on screen, but then I, mm. I am someone who does that. I tap um, leg as well. And, um, I noticed it immediately when I saw but, it. But like she hates that and then someone's clicking their pen and she stops that. Mm. So obviously chaos and order and all those things are in there. Anyway, but let us know your thoughts. If you've been to see Tar and maybe you didn't get on it. with it maybe you loved it let us know at hello at pubkitchenpodcast.com and maybe if, really love to... if someone writes in we'll probably do a brief little spoiler flash because yeah. yeah. give people a couple of weeks to go and see it but yeah yeah okay tar tar it's tar. uh tar. Tar. tar it's um it's intriguing with her book tar on tar <laughs> I actually want that coffee table book. Yeah, of course. I yeah. want like an actual I want to go book. to the, the tea room she goes to with the old professor. And, oh, like and yes. I was like, God, like, that looks like a good cup of tea. Yes. <laughs> it looks like where like big insider trading deals yes. happen with old yeah. men in uh, parliament and finance. Yeah. Anyway, let us know. Okay, let's see what emails we have today. Let's do it. Lots of films we've been covering recently. The January films, February films, it's all just everywhere. I've been filling in my calendar and I'm like, there's a lot. I, I see. don't have a life anymore. It's I just don't mind screen. there being lots of films. Oh, I, I love like it. it. You, when you come back with that New Year energy and you're like, what is that going to be? And then I'm like, okay, so next week I'll see that. Oh, and then that's out. And then we've got that and, and this that. this is yours inheritance. This is yours inheritance. years to figure this out. Robert writes into the show hello, just Robert. like you can to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and says, hey, Huge fan of the podcast and wish I was sitting there with you both chatting movies. Oh, thank you. Well, um, we are, Robert. We, wherever you're listening to this, we are, we are with are you. With <laughs> we are one. When we eventually film this Don't in worry, VR, Elliot. In I'll the... be right here. <laughs> when we eventually shoot this in VR and in the metaverse, you can like, <laughs> sit around my flat and I'll be like touching your face. <laughs> It's going to be a great future, guys. I'm a big fan of John Hughes movies back in the day. Mm. Planes, Trains, and Ferris Bueller being favorites. Would love to hear an episode on him and his films, or even best cult classics, or Double Axe, e.g. Steve Martin and John Candy. Regards, Robert Menzies. Double Axe is an interesting one. Well, that's also, the other ones are interesting. Uh, yeah, so on John Hughes. Well, first of all, Planes, Trains, is, Planes, Trains and Automobiles is the, it doesn't often get, often gets forgotten as a John Hughes film because it's not the high school one. Great, really funny, really close to great scenes. And I remember watching that as a kid and I remember seeing my parents laughing so much. There's some mm. great lines. Steve Carell at the height of his powers, uh, John Candy at the height of his power. Like, um, and yeah, it's, it's quite warming. That's a good one to watch near Christmas. It's about Thanksgiving, but like it's a good, it's just about trying to get home and uh, it's really sweet. In regards to Johnny Hughes though, I mean like you're talking- I mean, Johnny Hughes. Not to- <laughs> Your mate, Johnny Hughes. Hey, Johnny Hughes. No, um, 
in regards to John Hughes, though, uh, not to be Very that person beloved. who goes, hey, I wrote a thesis about this, but uh, it, it was a predominant part of my uh, dissertation. When Is I was it online? online? Can we film. find it? Uh, maybe, because... Aren't they all online? Uh, no, I think only after a certain mark. Um, <laughs> Quickly, <laughs> before this goes out, George will erase no, it. So, yeah, uh, what do I think about John Hughes films? Well, uh, yeah, very interesting. I love them. A slightly mixed bag. I like the films of John Hughes some, a lot. <laughs> some films which we called John Hughes films were not directed by him. So, like, Pretty in Pink was oh. not, it was directed by Howard Deutsch. And, um, and there are some ones that just get easily forgotten. But what is there to say about John Hughes films and also the films of that era? Well, they are all very interesting because, yes, they treated teenagers in a way that they view teenagers as. It, as as being as important as teenagers view themselves the first time created a uh, a space for the teenage sort of identity to uh, exist in a way that hadn't before it wasn't about violence wasn't about street gangs you know this isn't the outsiders so in terms of cinema and like the teenage space it was like a like another stepping stone in the evolution of how to portray teenagers if you go back to like the 50s and you're rebel without a cause and it's like oh because for context you know like you know the concept of the teenager is only, it didn't exist it's not didn't exist pre-war yeah it's not yeah. It's, it's only a, like a post-war idea um and uh the thing that i was really interested in with john hughes films and all teen uh films from the 80s is the, the role of class which is an idea i got from hadley freeman's book uh life moves too fast and it's this if you look at the role of of class in all these films you know so Breakfast Club isn't just a random collection of popular and unpopular kids. It's actually, you know, rich and poor. You know, you've got Bender, who's a real burnout, and, you know, he's, he lives at home just with his dad. He's very abusive. I mean, against, you know, Molly Ringwald's character, who's, you know, well-to-do, and similarly with um, Emilio Estevez's character. And, like, um, you have uh, Ferris Bueller. Like, Ferris Bueller's a really interesting concept because it's, like, it's almost aspirational. It's take, it's almost this teenager's idea of having a really good time. Fantasy. It isn't smashing stuff up. It isn't yeah. destructive. It's aspirational. So Ferris Bueller's idea of a day off when he gets to make his own rules is stealing a really nice car, putting on a nice suit, going into a nice restaurant, going to the going to the stock exchange, and and, and grown up stuff, grown up stuff, right? Play, but but playing it kind of in a mocking way, but it, but it is kind of um, uh, you know class based, and then. Um, there are there are pretty in pink as well. There's the whole thing about uh, Andy. She's um, Molly Ringwald's character. She's from the wrong side of the track. She's from a working class kind of poorer family. It's just her and her dad. Her mother, her mother's absent. You know, gone. But uh, she's you know she fancies Blaine, who's the preppy uh, Andrew McCarthy's character. Um, and then with some kind of wonderful as well kind of flips the premise, and you've got the kind of like preppy uh, Eric Stoltz character who's kind of attracted to the kind of. Uh, um, Rock and roll. I think no. Is that right? Is he the? Is he the? Oh god, I've only seen that film once. But, but, but backtrack, backtrack. That's that's the interesting thing running through all those films, and also wider context, non John Hughes ones like uh, Say Anything, the Cameron Crowe film. That's the one with John Cusack with the boombox. Yes, know? of course. Yeah, uh, the um, Your Eyes, the Peter Gabriel song. Yeah. That's a really interesting film about class because. You know, uh, Iona Skye's character. She she lives with her dad, and you know they're 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 wealthy. But Lloyd Dobler, who's John Cusack's character, is poor, a bit more of a burnout, a bit like a John Bender character, but genuinely really loves her. And there's that kind of tension there. Um, Back to the Future. Uh, Marty McFly's idea of if you look at the way Back to the Future ends with how he's fixed his parents, mm. he's just made them rich. That's what it is. Okay. He goes back and like his parents are wealthy now, so they're happier, and and they're um and because they're happier, they're slimmer and they're younger, and they're and and, Ma- and Marty McFly's idea of a, of a dream thing is is this truck that he gets at the end, the big the big black truck. So 
the role of of class and money is much more pronounced in those films than any like the, the teen films you get in in later years. And it wouldn't be until something I saw like Lady Bird, which finally again brings class back into it. You know, there's that bit in Lady Bird where like she's dating Lucas Hedges' his character, and he says, you know, um, she always says she was from the wrong side of the tracks, but I realised that there are actual tracks, and you know, her mum mm. looks like heartbroken. It's interesting, like teenager, like the teenage years and the eighties, or really seventies, eighties, nineties, and being intricately linked with class and identity, and this thing yeah. of like, you know, is that trope of like two kids from different sides of the tracks will get on, but as a teenager, you form identity, and there's yeah. conflict around who you are and who you're going to be, and who that person grew up and who they wanted to be. Mm. I find that quite interesting. I just on the last thing, all I will say is, yeah, I like Breakfast Club. I do sometimes find how overly uh, sincere it is, a little bit cloying, whereas. What I like about Ferris Bueller is watching how ab- now. yeah, watching it now. <clears throat> Ferris Bueller is how absurd it is. Like, it, yeah, it's- Ferris Bueller is almost like uh, surreal in terms of times. It's just not set in like a. There's no consequences to these to these no, actions, which I'm like completely I'm, I'm fine with. But I do love Pretty in uh, Pretty in Pink. I love John Cryer in that, and I love. Uh, uh, James Spader in it. So. so jealous you got to like actually write about films as part of your degree. What a like was, lovely thing joy. to have done. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute joy. Uh, there you go. That's my answer. <laughs> lovely. That was great. This next one is from Nicholas. This next one is from Nicholas. He says, hi lads. Happy New Year. I haven't been able to catch up with all your recent shows as I tend to avoid the ones where you talk about movies I haven't seen yet. Brackets. There's sometimes a lag between UK and Australia in terms oh, of release. Good day. But I did want to ask about two movies that I haven't heard you mention in recent discussions. Firstly, you guys were discussing Christmas movies in episode a little while ago, and I wondered if you had seen the pitch black comedy Silent Night with Kira Knightley that came out in 2021. George, you seen it? No. no Silent, Silent Night Silent with Night. Kira, Kira Knightley. Kira Hold Knightley? On. Processing. Silent Night horror comedy with Matthew Good and that kid from that thing. Oh, yeah, from uh, Jojo Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, having just finished the offer, I'm all over Matthew Good right now. Oh, really? Oh, he's such a joy. Matthew is good. Yeah. Uh, okay, carry on. No, Silent yeah. Night. So, okay, anyway, that's a no from us. Uh, firstly, you guys were discussing... Yeah, we just read that. Uh, secondly, when you guys were discussing upcoming movies for 2023, I didn't hear mention of Cocaine Bear. Oh, yeah. After watching the trailer, have you guys seen it? This movie has rocketed to the top of my must-watch list for the year. I'm confident that if it is as good as the trailer suggests, then this film ought to make a billion dollars and win <laughs> 10 Academy Awards. At least it would. Or at least it would if the box office awards and voters reward excellence in entertainment. Anyway, I'm keen to hear your opinions. And if you've already discussed these, apologies for wasting your time. Have a great January. And God save the king. Nick, sure, <laughs> from uh, Australia over uh, there, the Commonwealth. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, uh, Cocaine Bear. I have you seen the trailer for Cocaine? Bear? I have seen the trailer. Yeah, for Cocaine uh, Bear. I, I think it's one of those films that's going to be it was made on an, cocaine, <laughs> an absolute who or absolutely terrible. I, uh, exactly, it's uh, a real cannot place. It. I really want it to work. It's Did he ca- say he'd seen it? Uh, no, no, I don't think it's out yet. No, okay, yeah. I, I think it, it's the kind of film that like Nick Cage would be in. It's, it's like you really hope it's as good as the Cocaine premise gives. Ray Liotta's last film, good to see him. It's oh, directed by it? Elizabeth Banks. I mean, it's cocaine and it's a bear. Like, give the people what they want. Why not? It's a bear. <laughs> it gets really I'm also looking cocaine. forward to marijuana giraffe <laughs> and hero- heroin hippo. Crystal, crystal meth alpaca. <laughs> Endless sequels from yes. that. Um, yeah, um, maybe I'll catch it. As I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to run I'm an Oxycontin parrot. <laughs> I need my fix. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that, thank you for writing that in. We'll, uh, Nicholas, we will get back to you when we've seen it. 
Vasco writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and says, Hi, James. Hi, George. Hi, Vasco. Question for both. Do you enjoy watching movies that are not in English? I'm talking about full-on foreign movies where you do not know the language you are listening to. In the past few years, sirens are on our end, apologies. In the past few years, I'm noticing that more non-English movies are becoming popular. For example, Parasite, yeah. Another Round, and Roma. Or maybe I'm just more interested in movies in general. What is your opinion on the rise, in inverted commas, of non-English movies? And do you force, in inverted commas, yourself to watch non-English movies in any way? Or are you just interested if, on, in one if it is recommended to you or if there's a lot of buzz around it? I listen to you from Portugal, so you can partially right. understand why I'm asking this question. Love your show. I like movies, but I'm not a huge cinephile that studies this art, and your show is, without a doubt, the best way for me to get, stay involved and informed on this topic. Fun, down-to-earth, and uncomplicated. Thank you for doing this. I'll do my best to share your content with more and more people in Portugal. Please do. Wish you all the best. Vasco. Obrigado, Vasco. Obrigado, that's thank you. Obrigado, in, yeah. in um, Portuguese. Um, and the subject of his email is different language, question mark? I, question mark? I'm watching. <laughs> okay, uh, to answer that question, uh, well, first of all, the idea that there's a Rise in uh, a non-English language. I can't. There's, there's not really. No. Or, you know, countries across the world have thriving film industries, and uh, it's. I don't think it's that more and more non-English language films are, are coming through. I think it's. It's. They've always existed. I think maybe obviously to to English-speaking countries that they've gone. Um, our audiences, our cinemas are going. We need to show more of that stuff. Yeah. You know. Yes, it's been a, we've had in the past few years, we've had great like South Korean new wave coming through, you know, fantastic. Um, uh, do we, do we, do, do I, do we enjoy watching uh, foreign films? Absolutely. As much as any yeah. film, there's, uh, there's some fantastic, I mean. I think most people would say, I wish though, I wish I could watch more. Yes. I don't know anyone who's this like, I've watched too many. Everyone goes, I want to see Also the caveat we said before, where it's like, this distinction that like, oh, there's non-English language films or like for, foreign films. Mm. We're, we're, no, we're fully aware that like, we are you and I are looking at it through a subjective, myopic English speaking perspective. Oh, yeah. And like there's a whole world of cinema out there that dwarfs the English speaking world. And right? also we forget that like if you look at all the top highest grossing films in the world, we you know, I think forget the fact that there's this sense that you and I, our first language is English, our only language is English, to be honest. <laughs> and um, well, that's such an interesting thing to have like the majority of pop culture, at least from our perspective, operate in our home language and how different yes. it would be to have all of that exist in language, which wasn't my first. I think that creates yes. a very weird dynamic that we're not always exploring yeah. or thinking about. Um, but to answer your question, uh, absolutely, yes, love watching foreign language films. And I feel it's a, it's a shame, really. It's a real shame that I'm not proud at all that. I, I watch. I, I should so watch far it. more. The the demands of I guess, doing the show, trying to watch everything that's out at the moment. It's and have rare. accessibility to films. That, it, yeah, and that's a big one. I think like having a film marketed to you and available to you. Like you take you mentioned yeah. Roma. Like that was a film which is very heavily backed by by Netflix and was on the yes. Netflix homepage, which yeah. dictates very heavily. It's that simple. Whether or not people watch something. And also like Parasite was a unique thing where it was just a complete breakout hit because yeah. it's so fucking good. Yeah, and it, you know it had what had Cam behind it, it had the Oscar buzz and like I you know because I saw that in a packed multi multiplex screen yeah whereas predominantly you're watching things like you know decision to leave just came out it's movie it's curzon it's the picture house and that's mm. what it's kind of isolated to which is a shame but my god there's some great stuff that that um first uh, person in the world last year we put one of our world. favorites um, uh, pavel uh is it pavel pavrakowski who did Ida and cold war polish filmmaker i watched baccarat which is a great, yeah another um, round i'd love to see but i've, I've heard anecdotally people Netflix. telling me like oh is it I yes see it. Um, everyone's telling me like you should go and check it out thomas alfredson and ruben ruben osland i mean triangle yes. sadness had obviously english-speaking uh lines in it but yeah. like it, uh, yeah um so yes all, all four foreign language films we are we're just it's a shame we don't watch more but ant-man 2 is out next month so <laughs> 
This next one is from Puck. He says, hello, guys. Puck again from The Hague. I know your show focuses more on movies and cinema instead of TV series. Ah, half true. We try and talk about TV shows. Yeah. Actually, this is also the case with me. I just can't keep myself focused for more than a couple of weeks to sit down and watch the same characters in their own stretched out and boring storylines. Whoa. <laughs> then the hype for Wednesday came around, and after putting it away for a couple of weeks, I finally watched the first episode. And then right, the Wednesday, second. Yeah. Guess what? Then the third. I found myself being tired as fuck in the middle of the night watching a show I've been pushing away from me for weeks. Almost I felt, uh, although I felt almost forced to watch it because Jenny Ortega was just everywhere I looked. I actually really enjoyed it and even watched the whole season in a single sitting, reminding you that it's eight hours straight. I'm just very curious if you guys have seen it and if so, what are your thoughts on the series and maybe also on Tim Burton shooting his shot with the series after a few not that interesting films. Oh, tell Wednesday. me about it. Neither of you have watched it, but Neither of us it, it was it, everywhere. It was everywhere. The dance and yeah, yeah. The thing. Good for it. I'm glad it's been a hit with people like, but I don't know, I haven't seen it. As for Tim Burton making a TV show, yeah, he's made some rubbish uh, films recently. Try something new, Tim. And it looks so Tim Burton-y, isn't <laughs> I it? I the trailer What a stretch. <laughs> what a stretch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one's from Dan. He says, hello, hope you two had a great Christmas period and Thank I wish you. a happy new year. Thank you very much. When viewing Glass Onion, which I found spectacular, I was a little thrown when I saw face masks, lockdown, and COVID was integrated into the story. Personally, I don't particularly like when films do this as they are my window to get away from the real world. I get the pandemic was a very strange few years, but it sort of tarnishes my viewing mm. experience slightly. My question is, do you two have the same feeling as I do when seeing COVID brought up in films. Do you think it's a necessary thing to bring up when the story is set in the early 2020s? Or does it not matter as much as I make out? Keep it up, lads. Looking forward to seeing the 2023 inaugural film review. Daniel. Thank you, Dan. Face masks. Yeah, the, the COVID in cinema. Well, first, I get, obviously, it depends how the film does it. But really, I mean, Glass Onion, it didn't bother me at all. I actually, I love the scene in Glass Onion where we see the characters arrive and their characters can be... Uh, symbolized by the mask mm. that they wear from the like techie one uh, that Leslie Odom Jr. wears to the, the mesh one that Kate Hudson wears to the one that mask. Dave Bautista doesn't wear. I, I, I love that. And actually, you know, narratively, the um, the pandemic is important to the plot, actually, with, with to do with certain characters and decisions they've made. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, it didn't bother me. I thought it was played very well. I mean, we just talked about Tar earlier. The, the pandemic's mentioned in that. Yeah. And it's just like... It's just accepted, and I, I watched yeah, Confess Fletch over, over the Christmas. They, they mentioned that briefly once. You just kind of go, yeah, because it it, it, it could it could easily bother me. Yeah, I think if done wrong, it could easily bother me. But it ha it hasn't. Like I remember, I told you in the bear. Oh no, I didn't tell you in the bear. In the bear, it's mentioned as a thing of like, oh, like that saved us in the pandemic. When you're talking about restaurants yeah, and like how fact. difficult, it's only just a brief line, but it's yeah. sort of contextualizes that as like the struggle that restaurants would have gone through yeah. and how that's helping. I'm like, yeah, it, it's fine for me. Okay. Don't hate it. Uh, we, this next one is from Alva, who writes into the show and says, hello again, James and George. Hey. I was listening to your first episode of 2023 and found myself very excited because you two were talking about not one, but two actors whose careers I've been keeping an eye on, namely Harry Melling and Jeremy Allen White. Oh, yeah. I grew up watching Merlin, the BBC show starring Colin Morgan. Good and Lord, in one yeah. of the episodes, Harry Melling appears as a young magician. I do not remember this, but that, you know. This is Harry Melling who was in the Pale Blue Pale Eye, who was Harry Potter. He's in uh, he's Queen's Gambit, so yeah. hot right now. Uh, this was the first time I saw him since Harry Potter and I thought even then he was a very promising actor who I now think continues to impress. Yeah. I agree. Similarly, I found seeing Jeremy Allen White in Shameless and now completely Sorry, coming Jeremy into- Jeremy Allen White who's in The Bear, right? 
Jeremy Allen White in Shameless are now completely coming into the main main role in The Bear, Sorry. very heart heartening. I was wondering if you have any other actors who might be going on to bigger things, and if so, who and where did you first see them? Best wishes, Alva from Sweden. Well, I was, I was slightly answering this question. It's a little bit of a fudge, but like mm. like last year we did like most underrated actors. Yes. Was really champion for the one who is in a lot now and gets a lot of work. Who I really really love is an actor called Paul Walter Hauser, who is in. Uh, you would have seen him in Cruella and I Tonya. He's yes. kind of larger guy, often playing like the doofus. I think he was in like yep. Cobra Kai for a bit. But the reason I mention him uh, is that he was in this film called Richard Jewell that uh, Clint Eastwood directed. It came out early 2020. Mm. It kind of got lost because it wasn't really nominated for anything, but it came out at the same time as Oscar films. And it's based on a true story about a security guard who foiled a, uh, a bomb plot at the 1995 Atlanta Olympic Games, 96 mm. Olympic Games, but was then subsequently the victim of like a, a stitch up by the media and, and law enforcement. And he plays this, it's a really, really interesting study of like cop worship and hero worship. Yeah. And and uh, he plays the the, the, the titular character, Richard Jewell, and he's just brilliant in it. Yeah. You know, the, the film has Sam Rockwell, Kathy Bates, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, a stacked cast. Yeah. But at the center, Paul Waterhauser playing Richard Jewell is heartbreaking. I love that when this like character actor you've seen on the side and periphery of stuff mm. is given the title role, the main role. And I saw that and I thought, fucking, I want to see this guy in everything. Mm. So, I will tell people to go back and listen to our most underrated actors. And I would love to yeah. do another round of that totally. at some point this year. Because like I remember you mentioning Brian Tyree Henry and I feel yeah. like he's just really coming up for it. So and, um, yeah. This last one is from Tommy. He says, hi guys, new listener to the podcast and loving going back and listening to the previous episodes. Hello. I've recently watched Nicholas Winding Refn's slow burn TV series, Too Old to Die Young, and the German language timetable series, Dark, both of which I found to be particularly cinematic. I've heard you speak previously about TV series with this cinematic quality. And whilst I know exactly what you mean and this all, and also get this impression often, I can't help but quite... I can't help quite put my finger on what gives certain shows this particular quality. Do you have any suggestions slash thoughts on this? P.S. Having heard George previously speak of his love for innovative time travel pieces, yes. I would highly recommend Dark on Netflix. Cheers, um, Tom. I have heard Dark recommended loads mm, of times. Yeah. It's on the list. Um, <laughs> what What is this cinematic detail you speak of? What makes well, cinematic? I think it, what makes a TV show cinematic is pacing is key mm. in that, you know, TV in the old days was very much tied to a very sort of regulated uh, pace and pattern, especially in the US where it's dictated by advert, advert breaks, right? Mm -hmm. Commercial breaks. But what's happened with obviously like HBO, which is shows pay can be as viewing, long or as short as they need to be. As long as short ones, they can take their time. So you have more cinematic kind of pacing. Like in the bear the recently, they had 22 minute episodes yeah. and 45 minute episodes. Uh, that, that's a key thing. Obviously budget Technology. And, and, and the way things are shot, shot on cameras typically <clears> used to film, using talent that's typically used in film. Um, you know, locations is another about cinematic. Directors you, and cinematographers doing TV. Literally. Well, exactly. You come over to TV, you actually like go out to more expansive locations, you know, just a, a wider vision. That's what we mean by cinematic. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so pacing, budget. Also, visuals. I think the quantity of TV you used to have to make has gone down. You used to have yes. to be like, okay, we're on for six months. We have to make so many minutes right. of TV. Yeah. Now I can make fewer minutes of TV, which costs less, but even though I'm spending more, yeah. but it's like there's less to actually literally film in the same amount of period of time. But yeah, it's an interesting one. All sorts of stuff to go in there. Thank you as always yeah. for writing in. If you wanted to write into the show, you can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We love listening to your emails. So please send them in and we'll read them out in future weeks to come. People have sent some emails, but we're just kind of trying not to do like 12 an episode. But um, thank you very much.
Okay, James, let's end this episode with Castless Countdown. Okay. I've got two films for you, and I want you to guess the film based on the cast list, okay? okay. I'm going to read the cast list out and see if you can get the film before I get to the end, okay? Gotcha. So the first film, James, are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Guess the film based on its cast in three, two, one. Albert Brooks. Okay. John Lithgow. Mm, okay. Megan Fox. Megan Fox and John Lithgow. Lena Dunham. Okay, so... Chris O'Dowd. Chris O'Dowd. It's not... Jason Segel. No. No. Closer. Maud Apatow. Two more. Leslie this Mann. Is yes, well done. Yes. Yeah. And Paul Rudd was the last one. So I just like, again. Yeah. Huge me mix. Off with Megan Fox and John Lithgow. I know, right I know, in the same film, I thought that. Okay, so again, that's Albert Brooks, John Lithgow, um, Megan Fox, uh, Lena Dunham, Chris O'Dowd, Jason Segel, Maud Apatow, Lena, um, Leslie Mann, and Paul Rudd. Good cast. John Apatow gets a good so, cast together there. I mentioned that because I, over the Christmas break, was just like wanting to watch something to like, kind of like go to sleep to. Yeah. And I put this as 40 on, and like all John Apatow films, it's 40 minutes it's too long. Yeah, I watched that last year, by yeah, the way. Yeah, and you know what? I did laugh quite a few times. It's really baggy. It's completely flawed in that. Yeah. They're like, we have no money. We have no money. Oh, we might lose the I'm house. I'm on the toilet with the door open. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, they live in like luxury housing. Oh and, like, my it's God. Just, like, it's just the biggest like wine. Oh, I think it's also ever. like made for middle class audiences yeah, oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But but there are lines in it that really made me laugh actually. Yeah, yeah. There's some good, and the bands, everyone's on top form. You know, Paul, you get you get Paul Ride, you get Leslie Mann, they're yeah. doing their thing. There's a bit where like, uh, they're talking about uh, musicians and uh, they're like, well, why don't we get this person? And Chris O'Dowd's like, have you ever, because oh, Lena Dunham says like, you know, David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, they're still going, they're still cool. And Chris O'Dowd's like, have you seen any of those musicians recently? They look like old women, okay? They look like old women. <laughs> I remember watching it for the first time and finding it really boring, but yeah. rewatched it in 2022. I, think, I was like, oh, I it's, think it's the older funny. you get, the funnier it is. Maybe, yeah. And like, yeah, there's just John Lithgow appears and Megan Fox has this weird subplot with her in the shop and, and then Albert Brooks and you're just like, okay. Little smatterings of comedy here and there. And Wyatt Russell's in it as well. I didn't mention him, but like, yeah. Uh, I see when they go on holiday and they're really relaxed. They're like, why do we ever fight? Yeah. I love you so much, honey. Let's promise when we go back, we're going to be so lovely <laughs> and, to each other. And they also like, they're trying to have this like spontaneous weekend away. Like you said, they're like, should we just like rent some porn? But then it becomes really specific. And it's like, uh, I think we should just like pay for the day. Like, well, that seems too, like too much porn. <laughs> yeah, but it's more cost effective if you <laughs> yeah. rent for the whole day. Anyway. Okay, that Lovely. was the first okay. one. Good stuff. <clears throat> okay, but I've got another one for you, James. A bumper one. Are you ready? Okay. All right, I'm ready. Round two. James, guess the film based on its cast. Okay. In three, two, one. Will Smith. Okay. Kirsten Dunst. John C. Riley. These are leading. Okay. Sasha Baron Cohen. Kanye it's West. The dictator? Greg Kinnear, Jim Carrey, <laughs> Marion Cotillard, oh. Tina Fey, <laughs> Harrison Ford, <laughs> James Marsden, Amy Poehler. Anchorman 2. Yes, yes, well done. 
I knew that was through you. Like your face. My brain was melting. <laughs> I felt like I was being pulled in a million directions. Okay. Starting with Will Smith, I'm like, okay, cameo. And then I, at the top of my head, I'm like, where does Kirsten Dunst blows the trumpet as like the angel of like yes. war? And then like Harrison Ford, I was like, okay, I so think. let me just finish the list. I'll run through yeah, it again. Through. So, so after Harrison Ford, we had Amy Poehler, then James Master, then Vince Vaughn, Christina Applegate, David Kochner, yeah. Steve Carell, uh, Paul Rudd, and Will Ferrell. So I want to rewatch Anchorman too. Oh. I had a I great. Really need to. I had a great time. I saw that at the cinema with a friend, and uh, we were the only two people laughing. But we were like laughing, we were in hysterics. Yeah. And when you know the whole thing with the blind, when the fight happens at the end, which most of those people are in, right? That cast list. We were just. I was laughing my ass off. So, it was great. so great. Um, okay, so Will Smith, he plays the ESPN uh, sports guy. I think yep. he comes in. Uh, uh, for, this is for the big fight. Kirsten Dunst plays the angel of war. She blows the trumpet. She's like, you can start now. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen plays the BBC World Service. Do you remember? He's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. we play the BBC. <laughs> uh, John C. Riley plays the ghost of Stonewall Jackson. Do you remember that? He's like pinned down. He's like, because he's from the History Channel. Yeah. He's like, are you the ghost of Stonewall Jackson? <laughs> Open your mouth. <laughs> Let me take your soul. Um, you've got Jim Carrey and Marion Cotillard as the Canadian. Yeah, you know, how are oh, you doing? Hello hey? there. Hello. Yeah. Hey, hey, oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. Um, Greg Kinnear <laughs> plays the uh, boyfriend of Christina Applegate's character, who's the psychiatrist. Yes, the whole, I remember. The whole time, he's like, they think he has powers. He's like, he's not his powers, he's a psychiatrist. And then, like, he comes <laughs> and he stops the axe from being thrown. He's like, you must go to your son's recital. <laughs> Uh, then you've got Tina Fey and Amy Poehler as like the, um, is it, is it, it's not, it's not, it's like a sports, is it sports channel, women's channel where she's I like, think, I like I to, women's, I can't it? say what she says cause it's really, really rude, <laughs> but I like to see punt cowboys. Like, it's just like, yeah, right. Yeah. Let's get, you know, you know, it's just like, it's, oh no, they're are they weather, weather women? I haven't seen it in a while. Anyway, like they're in it. They're, they're, they're crazy. Harrison Ford plays Mac Tannen, who's the head of, uh, the news channel. He's at the beginning of the film and then he turns up for the bath and he's like, is there room for an old battle horse here? And like he turns and he's like, oh my God, he's a were hyena. <laughs> uh, then you've got uh, um, James Marston as uh, yeah. Jack Lime, who yeah. is the, uh, you know, the, his, his rival. They got Vince Vaughn who comes back in as West Mantooth. Yeah. Christina Applegate, obviously, as uh, uh, Veronica Corningstone, then the, the main four, David Coconut, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, and Will Ferrell. I saw an amazing clip of Steve Carell's audition to play Brick. Oh, yeah. It's so funny. So Will Ferrell's off off camera, just like riffing with him. Yeah. And it's when Brick's eating a sandwich. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, what's that sandwich made of Brick? And I, it's so good to see Steve Carell have an early idea of who that character is yes. and completely make it his own. And they, they just keep going until the thing runs out steam yeah. go and see it it's so so funny anyway those were two i thought i'd throw you off there two uh 2010s comedies yes. for you yes love that um anyway thank you very much for uh listening to this episode of pulp do kitchen it do it you know i'll do yeah uh, as you know we post regular episodes every single wednesday don't forget that you could follow us. We're doing it reverse. I can't concentrate. We post this show on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple. You can watch us. You can listen to us. Please like and subscribe to this show. It makes a huge difference. And follow us on Instagram and TikTok, of course, for you know daily doses and micro treats of Pulp Kitchen. Um, please keep writing in. Uh, please keep writing in and le letting us know your... You know, where you're writing in from. And uh, we've also got our review. Oh, well, our... 
We also have our conversation about the Before Trilogy coming this week. I know a lot of people have been waiting. It has been mentioned in the emails. As you heard last week, I finally got a chance to watch yes. two and three over watch the Christmas break. this space. So this is your last chance Go to and do your homework. those films. We'll be talking about the plot in depth. George will be telling us about why they are his favourite trilogy of films. Favourite films or favourite trilogy? What did you say? Uh, both. Well, there you go, guys. For reasons I will explain. Enjoy that this week. Subscribe. In the meantime, have a bloody great week, everyone. Thank you so much. We'll see, see you next week. Lunchtime now. Break time. Okay, can we have lunch now, please? Lunch now, please.